Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, there was a preacher and he asked a farmer, He said, if you had 100 cows, would you give 50 of them to the Lord? Farmer said, sure. The preacher said, if you had 1,000 chickens, would you give 500 to the Lord? Absolutely, said the farmer. Well, if you had two hogs, would you give one? Farmer said, that's not fair, preacher. You know I have two hogs. (laughs) Giving. A subject many don't like to hear, and yet others wish we would preach about more often. I don't know if you know this, but there's over 40 verses on baptism, 275 verses on prayer, 350 verses on faith, 650 verses on love, but yet there are 2,350 verses specifically related to your finances in the Scripture. Jesus knows the importance of giving because he knows it really at the heart of giving is really the heart of giving. This morning, I want us to look at not just the fact that we're to give a tithe, which is 10% before taxes. We're to give a tithe of all that we have to the local body. But then the scripture also tells us that we give sacrificially whenever the Holy Spirit directs. More than just talk about what we're to give, I want us to really look at what that kind of sacrificial giving reveals. I mean, what does that kind of giving assure me of? Is it really an indicator that I'm on the path to becoming more like Jesus? Or better said, what happens when I give sacrificially? Is there anything spiritual that takes place? Are there any promises attached to sacrificial giving? What can I count on when I sacrificially give? We're back in Paul's joyful advance of the gospel, his jailhouse journal in Philippians chapter 4. And today we're going to find out three giving assurances, three giving assurances. So I wonder if you'd rise to your feet once again as we read the holy inspired word of God together and look at these three giving assurances Paul gives us from Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. The Bible says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Here's the first thing we learned today. 
Sacrificial giving assures that I have the right priorities. Sacrificial giving assures that I have the right priorities. Paul says there, nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves know that after the first preaching, after I left, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you. And even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. You see, when I give above and beyond, it assures me that I have the right priorities. It assures me that I'm valuing the kingdom above my own kingdom. What does that priority look like? I mean, how does it get fleshed out? Well, Paul tells us first that I'm to participate in the fellowship of the gospel. I'm to participate in the fellowship of the gospel. Verse 14, Paul again says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me. Paul says that their sacrificial giving was evidence of the partnership or the fellowship that they had with him in the gospel. That word share, it emphasizes participation. It it speaks of a fellowship of two people headed in the same direction. Now, Paul started out this letter celebrating their partnership and partnership in the fellowship of the gospel. If you will remember, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul says this. He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul says they did well by partnering with him in hardship. And then in verse 15, he says, but no church shared with me or entered into partnership or fellowship of the gospel with me in this matter of giving and receiving except you alone. And what Paul wanted his readers to understand that that giving to support his ministry was taking up fellowship with him as a partner in his present tribulations, but also in the fellowship of him sharing the gospel. Now, the Philippians weren't in prison with Paul but they had participated in his afflictions by their compassion and their monetary sacrifice with him. So by partnering to him, together with him, they were participating in the fellowship of the gospel. So by giving above and beyond my tithe, I am participating in the fellowship with others who are about the gospel. And that reveals a kingdom priority. It shows me that my priorities are exactly where they should be. But another thing it tells me is that I'm to pass on the faith of the gospel, not just to participate in the fellowship, but to pass on the faith of the gospel. Because in verse 15, he says, you yourselves know, Philippians, that after I left, no one shared, right? For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. But look again in verse 15. He says that at the first preaching of the gospel, Now, you see, if we really were to look at this and study this, we would see that the verse 15, when he talks about that giving and receiving, that those are simply words for commerce. They're they're words for the mutual exchange of goods. And so it sounds so cold and indifferent just looking at it. Yet in that day, that was a very endearing term. The giving and receiving were really idioms in the church of the deepest affection and friendship that people could have in the matters of giving and receiving. You see, when Paul left Philippi and went to Thessalonica, the very poor Philippians repeatedly sent representatives to Thessalonica with gifts to meet his needs. Then when Paul left Macedonia, they were the only church that continued to minister to him. Even when Paul went to wealthy Corinth, it was the Philippians in Macedonia who out of their poverty gave to him. 
The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9, it says, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. See, beloved, as believers, we're to have a priority of being a generous people. Furthermore, we're to give to enable others to take the gospel to the lost. And when we give to those that are sharing the gospel, we are assured that we have the priority of passing on the faith of the gospel ourselves. That example of the Philippians must, must always challenge us. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1-5, through 5, the Bible says these words. Now, brethren, Paul says, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of the liberality. For I testified that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we'd expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. You see, when I sacrificially give, like they did, they even begged that they could give. I'm assured that I have the right priorities, that I am about the gospel. You ever heard the story about the man who became president for one day? I mean, does anybody here know the name of the man who was president for one single day? President James Polk spent his last day as president on March 3rd, 1849. And at midnight, Polk was out of office. But his successor, General Zachary Taylor, a staunch churchgoer, refused to be sworn in the next day on March 4th, 1849. You want to know why he refused? Because it was a Sunday. And President Taylor, he said this, going to church was a higher priority than becoming the president of the United States. So he postponed his inauguration until Monday, March the 5th. So for one day, U.S. Senator David Axelson of Missouri was president pro tempore of the United States of America. You know what that tells me? That tells me that there are some things that show us and assure us that we have the right priorities. Going to church is one of them. But sacrificial giving is another. When we give sacrificially, it shows that we have the right priorities. So, beloved, let me ask you, are you prioritizing the right things in your finances? See, sacrificial assuring, uh, giving assures me that I have the right priorities, but secondly, sacrificial giving assures that I have the right prosperity. It assures that I have the right prosperity, not just the right priorities, because in verse 17, Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. He says, hey, look, I'm amply supplied. I'm fully supplied, having received this fragrant aroma, this acceptable sacrifice, which is well-pleasing to God. Notice that we said that this signals the right prosperity. Now, I am not saying, and listen to me very carefully, I am not saying, and the Bible never says, that if you give, you will be rich, or that the more you give, the better you will live. Sacrificial Giving assures me, it signals to me that I have the right prosperity. Well, then the question is, well, then what is the right prosperity? Well, Paul tells us this, that I will abound in spiritual growth. I will abound in spiritual growth because Paul says, I don't just seek the gift, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. You see, other people had benefited from Paul's ministry, but they had not given. 
By not giving, they missed the blessings or the right prosperity that comes from giving. Paul says that he wasn't looking for them to give, but he was looking for the blessing that happened to them and their spiritual growth because they gave. This means that their sacrificial giving, listen carefully, was creating spiritual interest that was continually being deposited in their spiritual bank account. It was spiritual compound interest that was being built up. They were growing spiritually by their giving. That is the right kind of prosperity. Paul probably picked this up when he remembered that Jesus told the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, verse 21. Jesus said, hey, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. Because then you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Jesus was always pointing to the spiritual blessings of when we give. Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Paul says that the gift is important. But more important than the gift is the fact that the Philippians had an eternal perspective about their money. They could be assured that their hearts were in the right place, that they had the right kind of prosperity because they were concerned about spiritual growth. You know this. You know Jesus has taught this. But our hearts always are where we put our money. It's just the fact of the Scripture. In other words, our feelings always follow our finances. Their heart was for the gospel, the kingdom, Paul and his ministry, and they were investing in a venture that would pay everlasting rewards. Now, I need you to understand this today and hear me clearly that giving isn't God's way of raising funds. Giving is God's way of raising followers. Giving isn't a way to grow our budget, but to grow the believer. You see, when I give, I will grow. But not only does the spiritual, this sacrificial giving grow me spiritually, and that I can abound in the spiritual growth, but then B, I will actually satisfy God. Not only will I just spiritually grow, but I will actually satisfy God because in verse 18, Paul says, hey, look, what you have sent, what you have sacrificed to give is in a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Here it is. Paul uses a few more accounting metaphors. He says full payment, and I'm fully supplied. But then he goes on to use the language of worship and sacrifice. The picture suggested by a fragrant offering is that of the Old Testament burnt offering in which an offering was put upon the altar and it was totally consumed. And as it was being consumed, a roast-like aroma rose up to the nostrils of God and it pleased him. This, This sacrifice was pleasing to him. God would look and see the sacrifice and then as the smoke rose, he would be satisfied. This was a holy act of worship. It sounds so familiar. Because Paul has mentioned it elsewhere, the same language, but yet a different context. When he says in Romans chapter 12, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul says, hey, this acceptable and pleasing sacrifice is talking about their generosity, and with their giving, they actually were well-pleasing to God. They satisfy God. That tells me that they, this had signaled, this is assured to them that they were about the right kind of prosperity when they gave. It was about spiritual growth and it was about satisfying God. It was never about getting rich 
are, are being just healthy beyond all belief. Here's a picture, though, that I don't think I've ever seen. I don't know. Have you ever seen this? And I just don't think I've, I've ever seen that. You know, if you've heard it said, you can't take it with you when you're gone. It doesn't matter how much you prosper here. The place to prosper is in eternity and in spiritual growth, becoming like Jesus. Here's a principle I know, and I take it from Randy Alcorn. Here's what I can tell you. You cannot take things with you, but you can certainly send them on ahead. You can't take it with you here but you can certainly send it on ahead. And when you do, there's compound spiritual interest that goes into your bank account and you grow spiritually and God grows in your ability to what? Praise him. Do you understand that what I'm trying to tell you today is that are you growing and are you satisfying the Lord by how you give? Sacrificial giving shows that I have the right priorities and then it signals that I have the right prosperity. But then thirdly and lastly, Sacrificial giving assures that I have the right promise. Not just the right priorities, not just the right prosperity, but the right promise. Because in verse 19, he says this, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Did you see that? Here we go. We come across yet another famous, famous verse completely ripped out of its context. We told you a couple of weeks ago about that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is related to what? This matter of giving to God. This is that matter that I can do all things that God has asked me to do to further the gospel. It's not just a willy-nilly promise for all the Olympians to claim. That's not what that's for. And here's what happens. Too many people claim God's promises, and then they get out there, and they try to make God do fulfill a promise God never made. And then they question that God's even who he said he was. It's because we're taking God's promises and make them say something God never said. So let's do it again here. Your God will not supply all your needs according to his riches and glory if you're not giving to the kingdom. That's the promise. That's the context. We have to apply it in its context. We can't just willingly go out there and say, well, my God's going to supply all of my needs. But that's not what the book says. That's not what it's teaching us, folks. You have to understand this is sometimes the reason why people get hung up and stuck on God is because we're trying to make God say something he didn't say. So I have to understand context is always king. Where did this verse come from and what was Paul talking about? Paul is saying, I have the giving assurance that when it comes to the gospel, I can't outgive God. When it comes to the gospel, I can't outgive God. If I make the gospel and giving all that the Spirit of God has asked me to give, he will take care of everything that I have in life. That's what God says. So I can experience, first of all, the personal source of this promise. I can experience the personal source. The first half of this grand promise is closely linked and echoes the preceding context. Just as the Philippians had kept Paul well supplied, right? He said that. So now God will keep us well supplied with every need that we have. Thus we see that his promise of supply is for generous people like the Philippians and cannot be claimed by those who just simply live for themselves. This promise is intensely personable for Paul. He said, this is my God who had repeatedly displayed his power in every conceivable circumstance. Paul is in prison and has nothing, but yet gave his life for the gospel, and yet he's saying, my God supplied everything that I need. 
And God will do that in your life. When you make the gospel your priority and when you make the kingdom your priority and when you give to the earth and you give what to the feels good and you give sacrificially, you will not have any need to make the gospel known. Bible says that you and I can experience this God. And when we give that way, and when we trust God that way, God becomes even more real to us. This promise then should really remove all fears, all doubts, and all excuses for why I don't tithe or why I don't give. Because God says, when you give, I give. So he takes all the excuses away. It's a matter of personally experiencing this God, and he's wanting to grow our faith. Remember, God's wanting to grow followers, not grow funds. See, I can experience a particular, particular sufficiency of this promise. Also, he says, all your needs. That includes the wide and wonderful range that encompasses the breathtaking, everything that is vital to living for Christ in the gospel. You know that God will supply everything you need to make the gospel known. Do you know that? God's going to supply everything that we need. Everything, when we, when we give and when we go above and beyond and follow the Spirit, he says, it will supply all of your needs. The need for joy, the need for steadfastness, the need for endurance, the need for humility, the need for comfort, the need for peace, the, the ability to face any and all circumstances, the needs that we have that we just go without with hunger or whatever. God says he's going to supply all of our needs. On the basis of this, we can proclaim to every generous believer that God will meet your needs. But to the greedy and to those who are selfish, you cannot claim this promise. The wholesale application of this great promise does not exist. You can't just say, well, I'm not giving and I'm not going to trust God and I'm not going to make the kingdom first and then expect God to take care of your needs. That is not how this works. Now, there are other places in Scripture, rest assured, to where our benevolent God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. We can apply that, but we can't take this promise. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? I have to make Scripture say what Scripture says, not what I want it to say. And so, therefore, not only can I experience the personal source and particular sufficiency of this promise, but finally, I can experience the pervasive supply of this promise. The pervasive supply, how does God do this? The answer is equally impressive according to his riches in glory in Christ. Wow, do you understand that? This is, this is his riches according to his glory, which is in Jesus. Wow. Do you understand that God's saying, hey, I own everything, and it's out of that vast supply that I can supply to you? It's never going to have to be like, well, I guess I'm going to have to go to plan B. I'll have to look up my retirement fund and see how it's doing so I can give you a little bit. It's not how God works. I'm going to work some overtime this week. That's not what God's thinking. God says, hey, I own it all. If you need some, it's there. To help us understand this pervasive supply, though, you have to understand the difference between out of and according to. Jesus says in his word that I will supply your needs according to my riches, not out of my riches. To help you understand that, if I had a million dollars and I gave you a hundred dollars, I would be giving to you out of my riches. But if I had a million dollars and I gave you a blank check and said, take what you need, I would be giving you according to my riches. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. I'm giving you according to. 
Everything that I have, it's yours. Anything that you need to make me and my kingdom and my glory famous, you've got it. But God does far more because his riches are infinite and cannot be diminished. The fact that his riches are in glory sets up the fact that it's all about Jesus, which describes really in whom and how through all God gives his riches to his people. Because you remember in verse 1 of chapter 1, he begins this whole thing to the saints who are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Do you understand what Paul is really saying today? He's saying that Christ is the pervasive supply by which we get everything that we need. It's all about Jesus. Isn't that cool? And if you're in Jesus, you have everything that you will need. What assurance this brings to his heart through the gospel. Because Paul says, man, according to God's glory, and his glory is about Jesus. And Paul says, well, let's just, let's just break out in this doxology. Because he says in verse 20, now, now to our God and to our Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That fired him up to know that Jesus is his pervasive supply. And that ought to fire you and I up to know that we have everything that we need in Jesus. But do you notice he switched? Do you see the switch there? You might not have seen it. But he said, <laughs> now to our God. But up in verse 8, 19, he said, but, but it's my God. But now he says it's our God. Do you notice that? Because one, Paul wants everybody to know in the church that we can respond with worship to our great God. You know, back in my last church, that there was in Ohio, I have to tell you about a story, and I'm not using this to shame anybody. I'm just using it by way of illustration. Please pay attention. This is not me making much of me. It's illustrating a point. But back in our last church, we were trying to raise up the amount of people who were faithful in their tithing and faithful in stewardship and teaching them about how to manage their money and their budgets because we wanted them to be able to be blessed in the kingdom. And I can remember preaching a series on tithing about how we should give 10% of our income to the Lord. And some people just couldn't get there. And so I made this audacious thing. I had one of our, our friends, his name was John Clay. And John got on board with me. And John and I stood before everybody in the congregation. And we said this, listen, for the next month, we want you to tithe. And if you tithe and at the end of the month, you don't have the money to pay your bills or to do what you need to do according to your lifestyle, if you don't have it at the end of this month, John said it and I said it. We said, we will supply what you're lacking. And there were several in the church. Well, hey, all right then, I'll take you up on that. Yeah, I mean, if you guys are serious, I'm like, I'm dead serious. I'm, I'm as serious as I can possibly. All right, well, then I'll do it. And here's what I want to tell you. Isn't it crazy? that some people would start tithing because of a promise I made with limited funds. But yet God said, if you tithe out of my infinite glory, I will take care of your needs. Why is it that we would trust a man's promise and not God's? He's already given the promise, and he has the ability to do even what I can't do. What I'm trying to tell you is that when it comes down to it, when it comes down to it, sacrificial giving really assures me that I have the right priority, that I'll get the right prosperity, and that I have the right promise, and it's about my heart. You guys are coming to wrap up today. I wish you would come. I'm going to sing here in just a few moments. If you'd make your way up, that would be awesome. I remember reading a story about that on a Sunday, a church was supposed to make their giving commitments. They were going through this building fund, and they were trying to raise money, and that was the day that they were going to make their commitments to how much they were going to give. And 
on that day, that morning, the pastor kind of was on his way to church, and the organist called him, and she said, I'm sick. I can't come and play the organ today. So the pastor began looking for a, a substitute who could play. Well, finally, some lady volunteered to play the organ, and he said, hey, in the, in the service here, uh, when we would go to that part of the service, I want you just to play anything that you can think of during our commitment time. I don't really have anything. I don't know what the other person has scheduled. You just play whatever comes to your mind when we go to make our commitments. So at the scheduled time for making their commitments in the service, the pastor simply said this. He said, I want anybody who's going to commit $10,000 to the building fund to simply stand. And it was at that point the organist began to play the Star Sangled Banner. Now I want you to know, hear me and hear me well. I didn't preach this today to get you to give more. I didn't try to use some type of gimmick to give you to give, make greater commitments to tithe or to the building fund or anything else. I'm simply just preaching through the book of Philippians. But what I do want you to know is that this really is an area by which you can help fulfill the vision here at First Baptist Church. Because really a part of our vision is to help give you an opportunity to become more like Jesus. And when it comes, when it comes to giving, it's not what God wants from you. It's really what God wants for you. Sacrificial giving is a way that we can be assured that we're growing in Christ. You think about it like this. You sacrificially gave so that we could take some backpacks and some hygiene kits and some school supplies down to the border. You gave so that others could have and hear about the good news. Our association gave money to help our team go. And everybody was giving so that we could get the gospel out. And here's what I know. We haven't lacked a single thing this past week. I don't know of anybody who says, well, you know, if I hadn't given that backpack, I, I probably wouldn't have went hungry this week. All I know is, is that you guys are excited because we all know that we're being obedient and we know that God blesses. And if we continue to sacrificially give to put others out there, I believe God's going to satisfy every single need we have. But can I just tell you something? Starting next week, starting next week, there's going to be some booklets that are going to be in the back and we're going to be passing them out because on September the 12th, we will officially start our stewardship campaign, our, our capital campaign. We're calling it Forward in Faith to pay off the loan that we have on a remaining building. You're going to hear lots more about that beginning next week, but I want you to begin to pray about that right now. Like, how can I begin to think about sacrificial giving? Because you're going to need to know that what we're going to ask you to do is not take any money that you're giving to the general budget of this church and replace it by giving to the building fund. This is going to be sacrificial giving. It's going to have to be above and beyond kind of giving, and I'm going to be asking you to join us because we have quite a few dollars that we need to pay off that building but here's what I know. We're not going to slack off in our giving to our Annie Armstrong and to our Lottie Moon and, and to our uh, Mary, uh, Mary Davis. We're not, going to, can you, we're not going to say, hey, let's put that on pause for a couple of years because we're going to keep giving to the kingdom and know that God's going to add and supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. Here's what I know. We keep putting the kingdom first to sell those buildings downtown. That's going to happen because God's promised, all right? God's promised. So I want you to know that beginning next week, you're going to get some information about September the 12th when we kick that thing off, and you'll be finding lots of information in your inboxes and text message and all about that. So I want you to start thinking and praying about that right now. That'd be one practical way you could apply today's message. 
But can I tell you, as my musicians begin to play, that the gospel really is the greatest need that you have. God said he would supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Did you know today that the greatest need that you and I have on this planet is the need for forgiveness? Did you know that? Did you know today, that listen to me within the sound of my voice, that anyone that can possibly hear this or even understand what I'm saying through a different means, every single person who has ever been born on this planet was born into sin. And because of that sin, they're forever separated from this great God. And then if they die in that separated state, they'll be forever separated in a place of torment called hell. But did you know, because our God is a sacrificially giving God, because he so loves us and doesn't want that to happen, God himself sacrificially gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus to die in our place because he loved us so much that he didn't want us to spend eternity without him. He doesn't want us to spend now without him. That he gave Jesus. That if you and I would turn from our ways and turn to Jesus and trust Jesus, trust what he did on the cross to die, to pay for our sin, that he was buried, that he was raised again, that God would turn his eyes from his wrath and turn his eyes to his son and accept what Jesus did on our behalf. That's a sacrificial gift that just keeps on giving. Just Christ. And that's the greatest need that you have. And God has supplied that according to his glory in Jesus Christ. Today, maybe one of the things that you need is to be forgiven. And I want you to know that we're going to stand in just a few minutes. And when we do, there are going to be some people that will join me down here. And if you need the Lord Jesus, would you come? We'll pray with you. We'll help you leave here forgiven of all your sins and know that you have a place in heaven, but that you have a Father right here, man. It's just life-changing. It's awesome. And I want to invite you in on it. Maybe you've heard this message and really the, the next step for you is just to simply say, well, I don't know really what to do with this. Well, can I tell you, man, just go home and try to get on a budget. That'd just be like first place, man, to make your money start working for you and know where every dollar's going rather than just hoping or wondering. We got some great financial people in this church and if you would let me know, man, I can put you in contact with people there are people who are leading things called financial peace and other things in our church. We can get you some help that you need. Maybe really you've been here in church and you've been a Christian for a long time, but you haven't even began to tithe yet. Not, not because you didn't want to, just because you just couldn't get there. And I can appreciate that. I can understand that we're all on this path to becoming. Maybe you just need to trust God. And, and this is one of the things that God says, test me in this. It's the only place in the scripture he says, test me on you start to tithe, he says, I'll open up the windows of heaven and I will make sure that your needs are taken care of. But then others, man, you're like, man, I've been blessed and I've been looking for places to give. Can I tell you, there's lots of places to give. There's tons of ways that you can give. But make sure that when you give, it goes to the kingdom. Just give to the kingdom. You don't have to do that through this church, but give the things that matter to the kingdom. I don't really know where you're at today, but I'm just going to challenge you. I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, you respond as the Lord leads. I wonder if you'd stand with me as I pray.
Holy Spirit, would you make the promise of John 3.16 come alive in our hearts? You so love the world that you gave because you want to bless. That whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. And that you promise to supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. And we make it about your kingdom. And I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You come as we sing.